exciting day. It's obviously Father's Day, and so we get to celebrate together on Father's Day. Uh, it's also an exciting day because it's kind of the beginning of our Bible Adventure Week coming up this week, and so hopefully there's an excitement about what's to come. And um, I get to stand in Babylon. I'm not in costume yet, but uh, um, get to stand there. Um, and then also it's this kind of marks our conclusion of our series in our church distinctives as Redemption Hill Church. And part of that is, as we've gone through over the last several weeks, we've looked at our different distinctives and we've taken a break here or there for some special services or even for a time to focus on Pentecost. But we wanted to go through these distinctives together as the body of Christ so that we understand that these are things and areas of, of our culture that want to be developed together here as a body, as a church. And what we're saying is these things are really important to us. This is a part of our culture as a church. And so this morning we're going to be looking at intentional gospel outreach. But I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about the people that are in your neighborhood. How many of them profess to follow Christ? How about your co-workers? What about your classmates? Your friends? Your family? How many profess to follow Christ? In the United States, a study that was done by Christianity Today in December, of 2017 said that one in four professed to be an evangelical Christian. Of that one in four, only half believe in traditional beliefs about Christ. That Christ is truly the Son of God, that He is the way to eternal life. And He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's plenty of people who need the message and hope of Jesus. If we look throughout the world and we look at the number of people who have not even heard the gospel, the truth is that there's over 3 billion people that are considered part of the unreached people groups in the world that have not heard the message of Christ. In Afghanistan alone, 0.01% of that nation professes Christ. So there's a need for the gospel. There's a need for the hope of Jesus. And so today as we complete this, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a church that has a distinctive of intentional gospel outreach. What does that mean? What does it look like? And why? And so our distinctive simply says this. It says, we want the gospel to be shared everywhere. This means intentionally encouraging disciples in their personal responsibility to local and global evangelism, as well as providing corporate opportunities for outreach. Let me read that one more time. We want the gospel to be shared everywhere. This means intentionally encouraging disciples in their personal responsibility to local and global evangelism, as 
well as providing corporate opportunities for outreach. Well, the truth is that 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 gives us a clear understanding of our role in evangelism and the importance of intentionally pursuing outreach opportunities in the body of Christ. So this morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to be using that as a stepping off point to look at this specific distinction. And my hope this morning is that you are encouraged. My hope this morning is that you no longer see simply that sharing of the good news, both through our word and our deed, as simply a command. That we don't see it as a part of our life, but we see it as essential to the working of Christ within our life. So let's go ahead and read this passage together. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's go ahead and stand as we read this passage. And again, the reason we stand together is just because we, we want to honor God and we want to honor His Word. And so... This signifies that honor for his word, that we believe it to be the authority in our lives. And this is what it says, starting in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Father, this morning as we come to your word, Father, we pray that you would speak to us, that your spirit would move powerfully within our own hearts. Lord God, may we walk away today encouraged and challenged. Father, may we see the hope that Paul has, and may we walk in the same hope Father, may you allow us to get out of our comfort zone this morning and be really stretched to look at our own lives this morning, to look at our own hearts, and to deal with your truth that's before us. Father, I pray that you push me out of the way and that it would be you who brings your word to each one of us this morning. May your spirit be guiding and leading and moving. And may the work of the enemy have no place here in the name of Jesus. Because we know, Lord, that you have all authority. All authority. So God, we trust in you this morning. And we seek your leading this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, in verse 14, verse 14 really captures the heart of this passage. It says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always 
leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, Paul has gone to Troas to, to preach the gospel of Christ. Now, in Troas, verse 13 tells us that a door was opened for him in the Lord. However, due to a restlessness in his spirit, he decides to continue his ministry in Macedonia. He feels led to go elsewhere. He's restless. He's stepping out. And so there's this door that's been opened. And yet, at the same time, although this door has been opened, Paul is restless. We're going to see that that restlessness is actually part of God's providence, part of God's plan. And so Paul leaves this opportunity, this open door, and he goes to Macedonia. Now, notice that transition here that is here in verse 14. He goes from a place where he's restless to a great place of thankfulness. And you can imagine for a moment that there were probably those that were saying, hey, Paul, why are you leaving Troas? There's an open door for you. Stay here. But Paul goes. And one of the great things is he immediately reminds them of their witness, that the witness is not based on him, but it's based on God and his word. See, Paul makes it clear that Christ is the one who's leading him and that this is a part of God's loving plan. Notice what he says. But in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now, Paul gives us a picture here for a moment. And he provides us with a picture of this triumphal procession that's taking place. Now, this is a little bit different. So Paul has left this open-door opportunity in Troas to share the gospel of Christ. And he goes to Macedonia because he's restless in his spirit. He goes to Macedonia, and the Lord has a plan with this. And what he's reminding them is that his witness is not necessarily tied to open doors. His witness is tied to his obedience to Christ. And so he comes along, and he's in Macedonia, and he says, but thanks be to God. And he basically says, as always, the Lord is leading in a victorious procession. And he gives this picture. And so in Rome, what would have happened, this, this triumphal procession, is it's a little bit different. He's not necessarily saying, listen, I'm riding in as a triumphant warrior with the Lord. Now, he, that is true, and that's part of it, but he's bringing another picture to bear in this passage. See, in Rome, when they had a triumphal procession, the king would ride into the city, come into the city, with a lot of fanfare. In fact, they were paraded through the cities. Behind him would be those soldiers that went into battle with him. And then attached to the chariots would be the captive slaves that were being dragged along as basically proof of the victory. These people, these captives that were dragging along were actually alive. They were dead. And so in Rome, this procession would be brought through and it would come through the streets and there would be the king up front followed by his soldiers and then followed by the chariots of these soldiers would be captives being pulled along as proof of the victory. 
Well, this word triumphal procession is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's actually used in Colossians 2.15. And I want to encourage you to just note that passage down. Colossians 2.15. This is what Colossians 2.15 says. It speaks of another triumph. This is what it says. It says, starting starting verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then he says this, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So God disarms the rulers and authorities and puts them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. Here's what he's saying. In this same way that Satan was subdued by Jesus on the work of the cross, here's what happens. The gospel was as simple as this, that we were sinners, and that wage of that sin is death. And every single one of us has fallen short of the standard of righteousness for God, and the only way to experience righteousness before God is to have it given to us. And the only way to have it given to us was through a perfect man. A perfect and holy man, God. Jesus being fully man, fully God. And so Jesus dies on the cross. He takes the burden of our sin, the weight of our sin, the punishment of our sin, and when he rises again, overcomes power of death, and grants life to all those who repent and believe. What Paul's saying here is, listen, Jesus subdued Satan. He put him down on the cross. He took away any power, any, any grand vision that he could overcome God. He put down Satan. And God defeated him. He, he worked him in and he triumphed over Satan on the cross. The arrogance of Satan to believe that he could kill God's son. And so he puts him down. He triumphs over him. And he subdues him. In the same way, Paul sees himself as one who has been subdued. That in the flesh he rebelled against God and he was rebellious against God because as a sinner, the only thing that we can do is rebel against God. And so Paul sees this and he sees himself as one who has been defeated and overcome by the work of Christ. He sees himself now as the one who is the slave, as the proof that's coming along behind the chariot, showing that truly Jesus is victorious. But rather than simply just being the one who is taken to the slaughter, he's the one that now rises up and is able to stand in victory with Jesus because of Jesus. And so no longer is he a slave to the flesh, but he's a slave to Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7, 22-23 says, 
For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant or slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant or slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants or slaves of men. Paul sees himself as proof of the living Christ. What he's saying is, for all who have repented and believed, you are proof of the living of Christ, that what was once was made for death is now brought to life. Once that was futile and had no hope is now hopeful. You see, Paul is laying the foundation. He's saying, listen, my life bears testimony to the truth of God. That's what he's saying. And so he's saying, wherever I go, my life is going to bear testimony to God. And it's not about what others think about the open door. It's about where God is placing me, and Christ is the one that's going to lead me. And so if the Lord leads me, I'm going to follow. In fact, as a slave of Christ, I've committed to following. And so he says, listen, my life becomes a written work, a live example of the truth of Jesus. No longer do I love self, but I love Christ. I walk in humility, no longer in prideful arrogance. So, in verse 14, the result of this surrendered life in Christ, he goes on and he says, that through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So here's what's happening. Surrendered life in Christ... Paul sees himself as the one who has been subdued, who has been conquered by Christ, who's now able to share in the victory. And now, not only does his life reflect who God is, but it becomes a fragrance. Now, the one thing that I didn't mention before is that in this procession, in this parade, along the streets, when they knew the king was coming, they would light incense, to make everyone aware that the king was near. And so what he's saying here is this. My life not only proclaims the truth of Jesus, but it proclaims that he is near. And the knowledge of God is near. And how can the knowledge of God be near? Because Christ is present. And it is in Christ that I can have the knowledge of God. It is in Christ that I am given his spirit so that I may understand and know God's words and God's principles and standards for my life. See, that's the beauty that Paul's pointing out. That now, not only does his life bear testimony to who Jesus is and his truth, but it also proclaims that God is near, he is not far, he is close, and he can be known. So it's through Christ that we have the knowledge of God. What's beautiful about this is he's saying, listen, that is every follower of Christ who is submitted to him. My presence with somebody else communicates that, whether they know that or not. That's what he's promising. That when I'm submitted to Christ, my life 
is actually the fragrance of the knowledge of God. I'm bearing testimony to the truth of Christ and the fact that God is near through Christ. That I can have a relationship with God today through Jesus. Alan Redpath puts it this way. He says, this is the witnessing life when the Christian has really stretched out his empty hands, recognizing the futility of his own life, and, the, and, and has been chained with his whole life to the Lord Jesus, other things in which he once trusted for life, for salvation, for death, and for eternity, lie shattered and ruined around him. He has seen the emptiness of everything that he is, except for grace and the cleansing of precious blood, and the self-lie lies in ruins. He has seen the things in which he once trusted lying as utterly useless, but because he's chained with chains that no man can see and is bound by cords of love to the altar, wherever he goes, there's something about him that brings the savor of the knowledge of the Lord, and the people do not become conscious of the human channel, but of him. Here's the point. That without even knowing it, our presence amongst the world communicates the truth of Jesus. <coughs> That's not an arrogant statement to make. That is a humble statement. To make. It's what Christ says is occurring through us. What he's saying is that we were so utterly broken and lost in our sin that through him we now have life. And so it is this. That believers are the fragrance of Christ to the world, bringing glory to God through the ministry of presence and his truth. Believers are the fragrance of Christ to the world, bringing glory to God through the ministry of presence and truth. Now notice what he says in verse 15. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So here's what Paul's saying. If you're in the presence of the world, you are coming in, if you are submitted to God, you are actually bearing truth of the message of Jesus Christ that the gospel is true. That he is the only way. On top of that, that fragrance is going forth. That you are declaring that Christ, that God is near through Christ. But now he goes on and he takes the next step and he says, we are the aroma of Christ to God. So he's first saying, listen, your presence within the world, simply your presence declares the truth of who I am. But now what I want you to see is more than declaring the truth, this is more about Christ and more about God than it is even that. So often we think of reaching others with the gospel of Christ according to a set of commands, don't we? Well, I know I should because the Bible says go and make disciples of all nations. And, I mean, Mark says that we need to, to go and that Jesus came as a ransom and so I've got to be an example and I've got to go. I, I think outreach and evangelism, evangelism, those opportunities that we take to personally involve ourselves in expressing the gospel verbally with others. Outreach, taking the opportunity to serve others so they might see the love of Christ as we serve them in a world that desperately needs hope and love. And 
so as we walk in evangelism, as we do outreach, as we serve within the world, our motivation can't simply be a command. It's part of it, and we want to be obedient to Christ, but the truth is, if our heart is not connected to what we're doing with this, and if we only see it as one more rule that needs to be followed, we're going to struggle. The truth is, is I believe that because it's often centered around the command structure, we often see it as a part that can be left off and outside of our faith. With the exception of those who have gifts in the area of evangelism, many of us really hope that evangelism isn't something that hits us every day. The, the thought of expressing the gospel of Christ with others on a daily basis, whether it's in our workplace or at school, whether it's at home with our family or whether it's with our friends or the, our neighbors, that can be a fear-provoking thing. But I want to encourage you this morning to look at our evangelism, our outreach differently. See, what Paul is saying here is that first and foremost, when we lay down our lives, when we say, yes, God, I will go where you send me, whether that's here in Santa Rosa or whether that's in Bangladesh, whatever that is, that the motivation will be the glory of God. See, he says, we are the aroma of Christ to God. Here's what he's saying. Paul's using the language of the sacrifices. In Genesis 8, 20 through 21, it tells us that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of, of sin for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Numbers tells us that this aroma that was offered as sacrifices was a soothing aroma to God. It was a, a pleasing aroma to God. And the reason that God does not destroy his people in the same way, he will come for those who reject him and there will be judgment for those who choose not to submit their lives to Christ. But the truth is, is he came so that we might have freedom in him, that we might live. And this aroma, this aroma is a picture of Christ. What he's saying is that when we die to ourselves, when we lay down ourselves and we walk in obedience with Christ, when we lay down our lives for others so that they might know the truth and have life in Christ, when we risk the loss of friendship or the loss of family or we risk embarrassment, when we step out in faith trusting only in God that His plan is perfect, that this is a sweet aroma. That word aroma in Greek literally means sweet smell. It's different from fragrance, which simply means smell. And a sweet smell is pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God. 
So what he's saying here is that when we walk in boldness out and we begin to share our faith and we begin to live in the presence of others who don't know Christ, guess what happens? God's pleased. God's pleased. This is a huge thing. God is pleased. In fact, he refers to Jesus in Ephesians 5.2. He refers to Jesus as an offering and pleasant sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice. This is what it says. Ephesians 5.2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know what happens? When we lay down our lives for others, when we love them well, Christ sees Jesus. Because it is Jesus who is at work, and we remind Christ, we remind God of the work that Jesus has done in us. He's glorified in that. It pleases him. Do we see our witness, both our testimony to those who don't know Christ in service, as well as in word, do we see it as an aroma pleasing to God? He brings glory to him. Have you ever thought about evangelism or outreach in the context of glory? That the reason I do this is because it is pleasing to God alone. That's why I do this. The reason that I serve with FEMA Village or with Nomadic Shelter is because it is pleasing to God. The reason that I serve this week in Bible Adventure Week is because it's pleasing to God. That we are the aroma that brings God pleasure in that. That's an awesome thing. I remember as a kid thinking about the altar and the sacrifices, and it would always speak of the soothing aroma that went up to God. Now, one of the things that was really interesting for me as a kid was I'd look at that and I would go, man, God must like steak. <laughs> right? I mean, if you think about it, there's very few smells that stand out like a cooking steak. Well, God can appreciate it too. I certainly do. Right? But this is what he's coming to. He's coming to say, listen, that pleasing aroma... That's going to be Christ. And when Christ is in us, then our lives become an aroma to him as we lay down our lives for him as well. And so then he goes on and he says this. He says, this idea here that it's not going to necessarily be received by everyone in the same way. Notice what he says. He says, for we are the realm of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. So, our witnessing and our outreach is about God's glory, and not simply command. And it's not for the purpose of simply adding to God's kingdom, but it's for his glory. So when we witness and minister to others, God is being glorified and pleased. But the truth is, 
for others, it may not be a time of pleasure. See, what it says is to want a fragrance from death to death. The truth is, is that our lives, which are declaring the truth of Christ and the fact that God is near through Christ, it actually is doomed. It's doomed to be unrepentant. It's doomed to be unrepentant. And ever wonder why you get a strong reaction when you go to share your faith? Ever wonder why there's fear in sharing our faith, some faith and loss of relationship? Because we know that the very presence of our life and the power of Christ in our life can bring doom. That's what they feel. If you say to somebody that Jesus is the only way, when they don't believe that Jesus is the only way, and you tell them that that separation from God means that they'll have an eternity apart from Jesus, guess what happens? <laughs> It's not always a friendly conversation. It can be, but it's not always. In fact, there are men and women that have been killed for those simple statements, knowing that if they express the gospel, that their lives will be in jeopardy. And so our lives, at times, are going to actually be a fragrant, a smell, that's going to bring doom to the repentant, but to life to those being saved. There are others who need it, and it will be life to the repentant. It will be encouragement to the repentant. John 9.39 says this, and I want to encourage you to write this passage down. John 9.39 says this, He said, Lord, I believe in and worship and Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Speaking of the Pharisees, saying this, listen, know that there will be judgment. For those who choose to remain in unrepentance before Christ, there will be judgment. There will be doom. There will be death. Terminal. But for those who repent and believe on Christ, there will be life. And you ever notice that when you come and there are people that are interested in hearing the word of God? You ever found that when somebody's around you, even as one as one who has responded to the gospel of Christ, and there's another believer and you see their life and you find encouragement in it? Why? Because their lives are bearing testimony to the truth of Christ. And to the nearness of God. So, what are some principles of pleasing, glorifying outreach? Well, he lays out three key principles, and we're going to move through these. The first is that it's spirit led. When Paul spoke about being restless, when he said that he was restless, this restlessness was coming from a stirring within where the Holy Spirit is moving in you. You can imagine that where this open door was there, he felt like, gosh, maybe I should step through it. But there was a restlessness in his heart that said, this is not where I'm supposed to be. One of the great mistakes that we often make is that it's simply because there's an open door, we need to step through. Actually, it's great that the door is open. It's 
It's a whole lot easier when the door is closed. But the truth is that we still need to trust in Christ. We still need to seek His leading. There are all kinds of opportunities to reach people. All kinds. But when we're spirit-led, when the spirit is guiding those opportunities to serve people, we become intentional. One of the reasons that we talk about intentional gospel outreach is because as a church, we're trying to look for opportunities that we believe God is moving us into. There's all kinds of things that we could be helping with. I mean, every single one of us knows in this room a different organization or a different group of people that need help. And personally, God may be leading us to those different individuals. But corporately, we need to be intentional about who we help. And the way that we're intentional and really what we're saying is is that we're spirit-led. We let God determine the ministries that we're going to serve in. And that's where we believe that God has to put our energy into. So that we're not like a bunch of shotgun pellets having little impact the farther we become spread out. But having greater impact as the Lord is leading us. We want to be sure that it's where God is coming into our life and leading us. I had a person ask me one time, what happens if everybody on the street keeps asking you for money? Who do you know to give to? I mean, it, and this person literally was in a challenge where they said, I was trying to give money to each one of them. This is a wonderful example. God may lead you to give money to one, and he may lead you to give money to none. But here's the point. If we're seeking the Lord, then those needs are going to be met as we move to the needs that God wants us to step into, and he lets others serve in those other areas. So the truth is that a spirit-led outreach and evangelism results in intentionality. It, it forces us to be intentional about where we're ministering, where we're serving, and submitting to the Lord. Too often we can do wonderful things, but not submission to him. We do the good things rather than the great things. And the great thing is defined as doing it according to Christ. The second thing is our sufficiency is found in Christ. <coughs> when we go to share, it is normal to feel nervous, uncomfortable, afraid. But what I want to encourage you with this morning is that if we're going to be a church that is intentional about evangelism and outreach, it requires us to get outside of our comfort zone. It requires us to move beyond the idea of simply a command and into the fact that through this I am actually glorifying God, knowing that He is being glorified in the midst. Notice what He says. He says this wonderful thing, he says, who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Here's what he's saying. All I do is I bring the truth of Christ. I'm not looking to sell anything. This word peddler in Greek was a word that was used to speak of corrupt or cheating merchants. It's what happens when we share the gospel that you can have salvation apart from repentance. It's what happens when we say that you can have salvation if you just simply say a prayer rather than a heart confession of repentance in Christ as Lord. 
it, it's what happens when we don't want to call sin, sin. It's what happens when we feel like we have to come up with some gimmick to meet people and share with people the love of Jesus. Our sufficiency has to be in Christ. And if it's in Christ, then we know that his word is true and that his word is fully sufficient. The third thing. The sufficiency in Christ actually results in a demonstration of the power of the gospel. And so before we move forward, I just want to state that. That when we rely on ourselves, we rob God of power. But when we trust in his sufficiency, his glory is seen. And so that brings us to the third thing, a reverence for God. A reverence for God. He says this, But as men of sincerity is commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. In the sight of God. Do we realize that when we serve others, that we are doing it in the sight of God, and therefore we need to understand that the only way that we're going to be effective and our outreach is if we do it with a reverence for him. This reverence results in a diligence in ministering the word. If I really believe that then my response, my movement in and amongst those who don't know Christ, my service, my sharing of evangelism and witness, if I really believe that to be the case, then I'm going to be diligent in doing it. I really believe the church, the corporate church in America has lost the sense of reverence of God as it relates to our own. That rather than upsetting and rocking the boat and pleasing God to live as a living testimony to the lost, we fear man as opposed to God. The things like Bible Adventure Week, the things like FEMA Village, the things like thematic shelter, those are all ministry of presence. By simply being present, we proclaim the truth of Christ. When somebody says, I don't know what to say, I want to encourage you with this. You don't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. The truth is, is that by simply being present, if you are submitted to him, you are declaring his truth and the nearness of God. And as you lay down yourself and allow the Lord to work through you, speak through you, this pleasing aroma goes out. And so we are the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ, the world. It's why we support missions. It's why we do local outreach. Because we believe that simply the presence of the life of the believer and the witness of the word. And in that, God can do David. Because it is him that is working. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Lord God, this morning, as we just come to this place of seeing our mission, our outreach, our lives as the aroma of Christ, God, I pray that we would no longer be fearful that we would no longer see it as an add-on to our faith, but it would be an essential part of our faith. Lord, may we be a people who are committed to being the aroma of Christ to you as we lay down our lives, and may we serve you knowing that you are going to be through us a fragrance of the knowledge of God. Lord, may we rejoice when that fragrance produces life. And may we grieve for the soul when it produces doom. But God, may we know that your love surrounds that your grace is available to all. And that, Father, as we repent and believe in you, we might have life in you and a life that glorifies you as we're submitted to you. As we prepare for communion this morning, I just want to ask you to steady your hearts before the Lord and honestly evaluate why being the aroma of Christ to God and I am being a fragrance to the world. Do not lay down those things confessing him, those things that are preventing it, maybe busyness, comfort, fear, whatever it may be. Then jump back to him at the cross, knowing that it's been put there, and you have life eternal.